Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Financia, Coast to Main Podcast, and the host of the Source Financia YouTube channel, of course, back with another one. It's been a while since I did like a podcast like this where I just shoot the shit for a bit. I just have been thinking about certain things with regards to the current climate of, of sourcing in, in general from China with, with COVID-19. Just because I'm spending a lot of time trying to figure out how we're changing our strategy for the year and what we're going to do next year considering how much covid affected our business and i mean honestly it affected our business in a, in a very positive way it's weird to say that but yeah without further ado here's the podcast i don't want to be a product of my environment i want my environment to be a product of me So if you guys are interested in more of these kind of podcasts, let me know. Like, um, I, you know, I've, I've got a lot more time, especially right now. Um, we're going back into ECQ, Enhanced Community Quarantine, and they, they're calling it MECQ, which kind of sucks because for any of you guys that don't know, we were in Enhanced Quarantine in the Philippines from March 15th all the way into June, I believe. It was almost like three months. And then they we went into GCQ, which was the general community quarantine, which meant, you know, we had a later curfew. Uh, I think the curfew was 10 p.m. We were allowed to dine in in restaurants. There was local flights opening up, going to different islands. There was less restrictions on traveling between the different districts in Manila and just Philippines as a whole. There was like no checkpoints. We could have visitors in our apartments. It was kind of like getting back to some semblance of, of normalcy, whereas now we're going back into the ECQ. Now it's MECQ. It sounds like Marvel, <laughs> MCU. But we're going back into the you know this enhanced version of quarantine, which means curfews 5 p.m. Um, we're not allowed to have non-family member visitors unless you registered them as somebody who's living in the condo which uh, which also requires like them to have a health certificate to go get a covid pass uh, like you know it's like all this extra stuff so uh i don't know like i mean i think a lot of people have discussed this before that i mean it's not going away it, it, it's going to be you close down and you kind of curve the infection rates and then you open up again and the infection rates go back but then it you know, it, there's also been some people that have done studies that say that the, the longer you have these quarantine situations, the long-term effects of that from an economic standpoint and also from a health standpoint for a lot of people could actually be worse than with a virus. So I don't know, uh, smarter people than myself can can discuss those things. But I wanted to talk about more of the, the sourcing side of things. So I think... And from a political standpoint, obviously, there's there's stronger anti-China sentiment than there has been in, in, a, in a very long time, especially in the U.S. Mike's told me about it. Um, he's experienced it. I mean, obviously, not Chinese, but just conversations he's had with people. And then I also know some, some friends of mine that are Asian-American or Asian-Canadian that have felt weirdness when you know they traveled or when they 
<laughs> being in in the West. So yeah, that's that's an interesting side of things. I think that I was already in a position where I'd started to like my goal this year was to travel more to other countries. Like I had Cambodia, Vietnam, and uh, well, Indonesia. I already did that, but I had Cambodia, Vietnam, and Indonesia on my list this year, and and it wasn't vaca- it wasn't for vacation purposes. I wanted to go and like source suppliers and sort of expand my network outside of China, which I've already tried from an online perspective. And in Indonesia, I have contacts. In Vietnam, I have contacts. But I find that with these sort of countries, it's very difficult to do it just purely online. Like there isn't as much of a database like in Alibaba, which is you know the resource for, for Chinese factories. There's just not that much when it comes to some of these countries. So what's more important is you physically going there and getting a better understanding of how it works and what the mentality is. Because it's not just finding the suppliers, it's also the way they do business. So for example, in Vietnam, there is more of an onus on the buyer to provide certain things. Like sometimes the buyer has to get the raw materials. If you have a product that has something, some specific part that the factory doesn't naturally produce, they might make you source it and, and, and give it to them. Like Whereas in China, a lot of times it's one-stop shop type stuff where it's like you want to make this product and if there's a piece of that product that the factory isn't accustomed to making, they'll source it for you. Like that is a normal thing with China, right? So if you're going to places like Vietnam, you have to take those things into consideration. It's like, well, it might be cheaper for you to work with a factory outside of China. It might end up being more expensive or it might end up being more difficult because of some of the things that I just mentioned. It's like if you have to, if you are the one who has to source all the different raw materials and parts and you're not physically in Vietnam or you don't have a strong network, like those are those are the things you have to, to weigh up. And that's why I want to, I wanted to travel more. Obviously, that's not really a possibility at the moment. So I think what's going to happen is there's just going to be more of a reliance on companies like mine because... You know, people can't go. There is no Canton Fair. And I think the Canton Fair did like an online exhibition. And I mean, honestly, uh, how many people actually were attending uh, the, the live version of the Canton Fair? I, I would imagine there's probably less people than the ones that have physically gone. So for the people that are starting up that have no network, I think there's going to be more of a reliance on the online approach and, and working with service-based companies that are physically based in China. I think a lot of people are going to have to rely on them. And then also any sort of service-based companies that were based in other countries like Indonesia and and Vietnam and and, uh, Cambodia, I think are going to start to push a little bit more to be seen online um, or at least through word of mouth, have a little bit more of an online presence because, you know, they must be seeing there is a demand and, and then a lot of people in general are going to shift from whatever businesses they were doing. If their businesses fail or have failed or they get fired from their jobs and they have savings, they're going to have to shift into some sort of online business. And the companies that weren't online having to go online, like a good example in general, like here in the Philippines, it's a very cash intensive country economy. Like everything, a lot of things are paid through cash and, and you know, not every restaurant accepts credit cards not every store like none of the convenience stores accept cards and even some of the delivery services prior to covid like some of the services like grab grab is a uh, the equivalent of uber so there's grab eats and uber eats for example 
a lot of restaurants on Grab, the reason why I didn't, I stopped using Grab for a while with food deliveries is that they were only accepting cash. And I was like, you know, who is sitting around with <laughs> such ridiculously small amounts of cash on a daily basis? And, you know, if you're ordering food a couple times a day, like, you know, how often are you going to be going to the ATM? Like, uh, you know, I found it kind of crazy that they weren't accepting credit cards or just um, online payments. But a lot of those restaurants now, even on Food Panda, some of the restaurants weren't accepting online payments. A lot of those restaurants, if not all of them, are now accepting online payments. Some form of online payment is now accepted because they've been forced to come into, you know, 2020 because of the nature of, you know, they're trying to be more of a cashless transaction and, and no contact contactless deliveries as per, you know, guidelines from, from the government due to COVID. So I think the same thing is going to happen with sourcing, even when things start to open up, which they have, like, for example, in China. And really the only people that I know that went back to China immediately were the ones that it was an absolute necessity for them to be in China during this time period. But I have friends that were based in Hong Kong that had to stay in Hong Kong who were going to leave Hong Kong. But because their businesses are you know connected to China, they wanted to be in the same time zone. But even then, they're still working with you know, service-based businesses like my company, like other quality control inspection companies, and you're really having to lean into those. So there's a combination of like, it's the shift of perception of, of China is there, but at the same time, it's very difficult to to just move away from China when you can't physically go to China, can't physically go to Vietnam, Cambodia, just where the travel is restricted. So yeah, it's just tough. I just think a lot of small companies a lot of small trading companies in some of these less developed countries are really going to have to push to have a better online presence. I know that there are some databases that are slowly but surely developing. And I think companies like mine have to be a little bit more involved in those kind of things. If anybody's going to build some sort of database that rivals Alibaba or is complementary to Alibaba, but just focused on, you know, some of the other Southeast Asian countries. I think they have to involve the companies that actually do this kind of research and, and, and work with suppliers. And, you know, it's just, it's going to be an interesting time period in terms of how our business is done and in terms of the, the sourcing side of things, at least in China, by all appearances, it's pretty much back to business as usual. So like we are, you know, I, I'm, my staff are not telling me that, you know, there's a limited amount of factories open. Like it's not like it was in, you know, February, March, April, even where, you know, the factories were so focused on PPE products that they weren't even working on their usual businesses. So what's happened now is that the PPE side of things has slowed down and the factories that were probably already making PPE uh, products are continuing and, and have, you know, the the repeat orders, repeat business, and are now also working with um, buyers from other countries, not just the US and, and, and Europe. But the factories that maybe jumped into the PPE stuff have gone back to their normal production cycles. I think right now the, the biggest question mark is not even manufacturing, it's shipping. Shipping is still a fucking nightmare right now in 2020 coming from from China and maybe not sea shipments necessarily. I think there's a little bit more predictability when it comes to sea sea shipments, but air shipments are still, uh, again, depending on the product. If it's a product that has 
restrictions are definitely if it's a PPA product, it's so unpredictable. Like uh, the warehouses take a long time to actually ship out the goods. Sometimes DHL or FedEx will split your shipments into multiple shipments, maybe because it's easier to, to ship them out like that. And then your your goods also get pulled aside for random inspection. So if you are dealing in the PPE space or medical space and you, you want to order products like that, that's something that you definitely have to keep in mind is depending on where you're importing to as well. If you're importing to the US, it could be tough. And depending on where you're exporting from, if you're exporting from certain ports in China, some are more strict and some aren't as strict. You really have to make sure that you have all your, your the right documentation from the factories in terms of medical export licenses, FDA approval, and all that stuff. Because the last thing you'd want is your goods to be seized by the Chinese government before they even leave the country. At least in the U.S., it's like you can, even if your goods get taken aside for random inspection, you can at least talk to the customs officials and, and explain like we had uh, even Europe, to we had one shipment that was shipped to Europe and it was a sample production order. So it wasn't that many units, but for some reason, somebody listed it as a business uh, purchase and it wasn't our freight forwarder. It wasn't the, the China side, but nonetheless, customs assumed it was and the client had to then go to customs and explain to customs what the purchase was and, you know, provide some evidence whether it was, I guess, conversations and emails and stuff like that to show that this was not a business purchase. This was a personal purchase, a sample purchase. And that is possible in Europe. It's possible in the States. Not possible in China. Like, if the Chinese government seizes your goods, they're not going to, like, explain anything. They're just going to tell you that they've been taken aside for inspection and you just wait out. You have to wait till further notice. And we had that happened with three plies that we were sending to Ireland. Um, they got taken aside for two weeks and obviously they're not being inspected throughout the two weeks. It's just that that's the the lead time that they give you. It's like, it's gonna take two weeks for this inspection to be done. Luckily, none of our goods have been rejected. We haven't had anything been you know actually seized. We've only had random inspections and then delays in the production and then the problem, not production, in the shipping. And the problem is, it would just, it's just difficult to get information on what's going on. So it's hard to update the, the, the clients and things like that when we don't know what's going on and our freight forwarders don't know what's going on. And then, you know, they're not getting answers from um, the, the DHL or FedEx. We're not getting clear answers from the DHL or FedEx warehouses. Um, so that's that's something really to, to, to keep in mind beyond the things that I just mentioned. I think the shipping process is something that's going to take a while to be normalized. And a big part of it is also because Typically, when you do these shipments, obviously companies like DHL and FedEx and stuff like that have their own planes. But a lot of times they put, you know, if you're doing an air cargo shipment, a lot of times you're using commercial planes, the additional free space on the commercial planes to ship these goods. So now that there's just less international commercial flights, there's just less shipping routes. And so the things that would usually take three to seven days to, to be shipped are taking seven to 10 days. And then, of course, as I mentioned, if they do get taken aside for further inspection and things like that, then that adds an additional time to it. So anyways, guys, uh, that's my little uh, rant over here. I hope this was not too incoherent. Uh, just my thoughts on the sourcing climate in 2020 and you know what's going to happen moving forward and from a business perspective in general and what's going on here in the Philippines. Like I said, I'm going to try to do more of these just because setting up guest interviews is great, but 
I can't just do them anytime. Like it always has to be scheduled out. And some of our guests schedule their interviews like a month out. So, you know, um, I do now that we're, I'm still stuck at home because of the, the, the lockdown, definitely have a little bit more free time to, to be able to sit down and just bang out some of these uh, short podcasts. And there's less setup involved. It's not like when I record videos and I have to make sure that the lighting is a certain way and, you know, all that good stuff. So, anyways, guys, without further ado, I uh, hope you enoy the podcast. And obviously, if you want to check out the show notes at sourcefromanasia.com slash made in China, if you want to reach out to us, that's podcast at sourcefromanasia.com. And if you want to check out the YouTube channel, of course, got some pretty cool videos up, a little bit different. Like, I think one of them is called Becoming Batman. It was like my uh, two-month Muay Thai experience from last year and got some other stuff in the pipeline and I'll check you guys out next week. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, straight out the villain, I made it like a villain, I'm hated. I see him grilling, I ate it though. For the bloat inflatable, that's undebatable. Uh, I'm giving niggas food for thought, the flow is catered, yo. I'm never faded, though haters wanna see me broke with me and the dough related, ho. It's like my only son, where I go, he comes. Niggas dumb, they'll be bragging about that stupid shit. Nah, I don't stun no niggas, I show them how to do this shit. I'm something like the light skinned version of the very same baby that the Virgin Mary raised. That's word to everything, nigga, life is scary. Game, but I'm playing. You sucking niggas, lying, everything that you're saying. Shame on y'all. You trying to ball with the game on pause. The nigga put a thing on.